This episode is sponsored by Mint Home Loans. With mortgage interest rates nearing all-time lows, now is the time to see what options you may qualify for. Make Mint Home Loans your trusted partner for all your mortgage needs. In today's times, your money matters. Shop local with Mint at 410-458-6847 for any home loan questions you may have. Welcome to another edition of Life's Tough. You can be tougher. This is a show about life and purpose. It's about the stories we all have. Everyone, when you think about it, they have a story. Yet some stories sound more riveting than others. That is to be expected. Not every story, after all, is the basis for a book or a blockbuster miniseries. The point is to use your story to give others hope. To help people on their journey through life. Our guest today is Dr. Pat Robertson. Robertson is now 90 years old. And as we're going to dig into his story, it is one that will amaze you. It is one that has amazed me. He founded the Christian Broadcasting Network back in 1960. The network began by broadcasting on a part-time basis out of a UHF station in Portsmouth, Virginia. Today, CBN is a media powerhouse headquartered in Virginia Beach. It delivers original programming in 70 languages to approximately 200 countries. In addition to starting CBN, Robertson even launched the Operation Blessing International Relief and Development Corporation, an international nonprofit relief and development organization. He also started International Family Entertainment, Regent University, as well as the American Center for Law and Justice. And in 1989, a year after he ended his campaign, For the Republican Party presidential nomination, he created the Christian Coalition, a political organization that advances conservative issues. He headed that group until 2002. Let's welcome him on now. Dr. Robertson, welcome to the Life's Tough podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Well, when I got the word that you had a book coming out, I was excited to get your story. I mean, you're turning 90 or you just turned 90 and you have a book. So what's it like to be 90? Because I'm 37, Dr. Robertson. Well, I tell you what, when I when I hit 50, I thought I'd reached the mountain. It was downhill all the way. And then <laughs> when I hit 80, I thought it was time to rack it up. And then the Lord gave me 10 more years of very productive service. So you, you just never know when it's going to end. You never know. Like, Did you ever have a midlife crisis along the way or did you skip that? I think I skipped it. I, I just kept on going. And, you know, in the Old Testament, and then uh, the, the priest began to minister at the age of 30. Jesus began his ministry when he was 30. And, and I was 30 when I uh, founded CBN and did these other things. So uh, I, I'm looking back 60 years of, I hope, very productive ministry. That is remarkable. I mean, Dr. Robertson, you went from being the son of a U.S. senator and then a Marine, you served in the Korean War, Yale Law School, you were living in New York with probably high expectations of corporate America, and then you had this epiphany. I mean, talk about that. Well, you know, uh, I was waiting on the Lord as to what to do when I got through seminary, and uh, the Lord gave me the scripture, Luke twelve thirty three, and I read it, and it said, sell what you have and give to the poor and come follow me. So I, 
I said my to my wife, uh, God's dealing with me out of Luke twelve thirty three, and she said, "Well, you do whatever the Lord tells you." And the next thing you know, I was in Bedford Stuyvesant in Brooklyn. Uh, we we lived in what became a, an interracial commune. Ted Turner said, "I." I, uh, I was country before country was cool. Well, I was living in a commune before communes were cool. <laughs> and, uh, we, we were in one of the worst slums in America, and I had my wife and children there, and uh, it was a, a data learning experience. But uh, that was one of the uh, formative times of my life. Interesting. Now, how long have you been married, sir? Well, I think we've crossed about 65 years and more coming, but the 65 glorious, wonderful years. So I got to ask you, because again, I'm a young man, a wife and two kids, and have had the opportunity to interview eight billionaires. Not that I think a person's success is tied to their wealth, but some really successful people. And yet you found a way to not blow up your marriage. How did you do that? I mean, with your success and your fame would have become, would have been lots of temptation. How did you not blow it up? Well, uh, I've learned one secret uh, to a happy marriage, and that is the phrase, whatever makes you happy, dear. And so <laughs> my, my thought at this stage of life, in any event, is whatever makes my wife happy will make me happy. And, uh, uh, you know, I think the problem with a marriage breakup is selfishness. You know, they're two separate people. You know, the Lord said you're supposed to be one. And uh, I, I believe in that very strongly. You, you become one. And uh, your wife, you know, my wife and I pray together. In the old days, we would pray a long time, and we would ask God to give us direction, and he would speak to both of us. And I was, uh, my, my wife an extremely talented person, and I have my thoughts about how to do things as well. And so she complimented my my uh, weaknesses, and I complimented hers. But wow. the big thing is whatever makes you happy, dear. If people remember that, then they've got it made. Yeah, I guess yes, they do. And you know, a couple uh, about a couple years back, sir, my uh, pastor at my men's group, uh, he asked this question of all the men, and he said, um, "At the end of your life, fill in your name, loved dot 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 the most." So here I was sitting with this group of men, men that I didn't know. And I was reading the question back. At the end of Dustin's life, Dustin loved what the most? And I was dead honest. And I put down a word, my word, Dustin. I put down at the end of Dustin's life. And it was my aha moment. So here I was, 34 years old, and realizing that, that my purpose, that my path had been one where I'd been living for myself. Yet you found in your journey to give back to others was more fulfilling how did you do that? Were you born with it, or along the way did something change? Uh, it changed dramatically. I was a, a very proud, self-seeking guy. I mean, I was the hotshot son of a senator, and I was coming out of Yale Law School, and I was going to be come to New York and make my fortune. I was going to get rich. And I said, all right, I'm going to be rich first, and then I'll serve the Lord. And the Lord said... After a while, he said, look, I didn't call you to be rich. I called you to serve me. And I, I did that. And subsequently, God has given me an incredible opportunity. I've, I've had a ministry that has reached the whole world, and hundreds of millions of people have made decisions for Christ. I founded a university. 
that uh, is one of the largest and most exciting in the, in the nation. And uh, I've traveled all over the world, run for president, done all these things. And uh, more than anything, I, you know, I've seen God's hand at work. And that, that's what that book I've written is all about. It's my walk with God. I've walked with a living God. But how can you believe something that you haven't seen before, Dr. Roberts? I mean, there are many people out there, the non-believers, that they can't see it. They've never had this moment. So how do you feel that? And what do you do to change maybe your perception on on a personal relationship with Jesus? Um, You know, it's no longer theory with me. Uh, I... I mean, I'm on the air every day now for five days or four days a week, and there's not a day that goes by that we don't see miracles. I'm talking about serious miracles. I have laid my eyes on the hands of people who were blind and their eyes have come back. I've put my hands on the ears of deaf people and they've restored their hearing. I've seen people who had uh, various types of uh, uh, disease get up and walk out of a room with wheelchair. Um, I, 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 I just have seen God at work, <laughs> and yeah. I, I don't have to question about some invisible being. I mean, He's there with me. And when I start, when I go in the air, I ask Him. I said, "Lord, I want You to give me Your anointing. I, I want You to tell me about what's going to happen." And, and lo and behold, He does that. He speaks to me, and, and, and I think the Bible says, "You know, this you'll hear a voice in your ear when you go to the right or the left. This is the way you walk in." And he, he talks to us if we listen to him. Yeah. And and how do you know when he's talking to you? I mean, there are many distractions that we have around us, right? I mean, there are people that all day long watch TV shows and then people that are trying to fill the void. Well, they'll put other substances or whatever their addiction might be. So how do you know when, when God is talking to you? Well, you know, the Bible talks about those who have their senses exercised that they'll uh, know the voice of the Lord and, and know good from evil. And uh, it, there's no substitute to practice. Uh, you know, I've, I've, you, know, you walk with the Lord year after year after year, and before long you begin to understand what's important. But it also comes out of the Bible. The Bible is sort of the handbook of how we're supposed to live. And uh, I have a pretty thorough acquaintance with, with the Bible. I, I, I did have three years of seminary, and uh, I uh, read the Bible and study the Bible and write about the Bible. And, and you know, the Bible says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So it, it's that word that comes alive, and, and it, it, it's Beautiful. a living, living thing. And, and how, so I'm hearing it in your voice that you are not afraid. You know, my, my father yesterday, uh, I had word that he had a major heart attack, and my dad has struggled with addictions. He was in prison for 17, nearly 17 years. And I talked to him late last mm-hmm. night. They, they got his uh, heart under control now, the medications, and I could hear the fear in his voice. I mean, you're approaching 90. Is there any fear that you have, or are you certain that you know what's going to happen on the other side? Uh, listen, uh, I, when that day comes, uh, I'm, I'm going to be with the Lord and, you know, I, when I leave this body, uh, you, you talk about things that have happened. I've had, I've had prostate cancer. I've had uh, uh, any number of uh, problems with my heart. I had uh, one operation where they almost killed me. I lost about, about three-quarters of my blood. It took me almost a year to recover. Wow. Uh, I, I've, 
I've got a pacemaker. I'm kind of like an old car. You put new parts in, you know, and new plugs. <laughs> like the million-dollar man, five-million-dollar man. I've got a fake knee. I've got a titanium knee. I've got a, a, a big thing in my chest that keeps my heart beating. I mean, it's it's. It, but you just keep on going, and, <laughs> and uh, I have no fear whatsoever of the future. The, the, when you walk out into the future, you walk out into God. God is the That's future, beautiful. and so I'm not afraid of, of this world because what what happens next is God. Yeah. He's in charge of it all. That's that's beautiful. And and you've met and I didn't even put this down as a question. It just hit my head. Like uh, you've met a lot of amazing people. Like Billy Graham. Did you ever meet Billy Graham? Mm-hmm. Well, but my, my father, when he was a senate senator, uh, helped Billy when he was just getting started. They they contributed to him. My mother was a dedicated Christian, and and they loved Billy Graham. And then uh, when Billy had his crusade in New York, I was uh, in charge of the college follow-up in the wow. borough of Queens. Wow. And uh, I, I was, you know, <laughs> at the crusade as one of their counselors. And, and then uh, subsequent to that, Billy has been here. We, we were dear friends. He uh, I met with him over the Berlin Wall, the fall of the Berlin Wall. We had a lovely time together, had lunch together. Uh, he came here several times, and we, we were dear, dear friends. That is remarkable. I mean, you, you've lived, I mean, look, you've lived 90 years. You were alive during World War II. I mean, do you remember these moments? Oh, sure. Well, I, I was seven years old at Pearl Harbor. Oh, my and, gosh. Uh, I mean, my, I have a seven-year-old, Dr. Please, Robertson. What was that like for you? <laughs> well, I, I, was, I was actually too young to fully understand what had happened, but uh, I, 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 began, I, mean, I grew up all those four years, and uh, uh, it, it was a, a moving time as we went through that war. And then I, I, later on, you know, I, I was... When uh, I finished college, I, I, I graduated from college, and I, I had a, a, a commission as a lieutenant in the Marine Corps Reserves, and uh, I was called up uh, after that uh, uh, Truman started. I mean, we had that war in Korea. I was sitting in, in Paris uh, at a, at a uh, you know, one of those sidewalk cafes. I was reading a newspaper, and it said, like, Gare d'Ancore. And uh, it said a group called the Fusilier Moran were being called up. And I, I, I happen to be one of those Fusilier Moran. <laughs> and when I got back off the, off the uh, boat, I had orders to report to, uh, to uh, Quantico for training. And then I went uh, from there to Camp Pendleton. And then I went and we shipped overseas to the First Marine Division. But uh, that, that, that was part of life. And, and it's just very important. It's very important. And you've been a mentor to innumerable people. I mean, who were the most influential people in your own life? Who was your mentor? Who was the one that held you accountable or that gave you the advice that sometimes you didn't want to hear, but you knew you needed to take it? Well, you know, in the early days, there was a guy named Cornelius Vandenbregen, and he's with the group, uh, I think they call them the Sojourners, and uh, uh, he was the one, I was in Philadelphia, and I I was in business in New York, and I came down to see him, and uh, we had uh, uh, dinner in a rather fancy restaurant where the waiters wore white tie and tails. It was kind of real formal, and uh, I'm sitting there, and 
he brings out this great big black Bible and puts it on the table. And I, I almost went out of the table. I said, this is you know humiliating. And then this waiter came over to us and said, they want to throw us out because we're fanatics. <laughs> and it turned out the waiter says, a gentleman, the man, and I was waiting on, I wanted to know what you men were talking about. And Cornelius picked, picked out one of those little tracks and handed it to him. And I thought, oh, my goodness, they're going to throw us out of here for certain. But anyhow, so later on, uh, I went up to a place called uh, Campus in the Woods up in the Lake of Bays in Ontario. And he was up there. And um, I was relying on him. And one night, the Lord just spoke to him to leave. And he took off. And it was the blessing because God didn't want me looking to anybody. He wanted me to look to him. And it was during that experience that I, I really met deeply with the power of the Holy Spirit. I saw a particular miracle and I began to see the power of God. But he didn't want me being mentored by somebody who hadn't gone into his deeper life as I ultimately had. And, uh, but he, he took this man and said, literally told him, you, you, you get up and get your crew and go and, and drive west. And so he, he left me up there all by myself. <laughs> <laughs> from then on, I, I was on, I was between me and the Lord. Wow. And, and, you know, I have to talk about the current times, Dr. Robertson, and, and the leaders. I mean, right now there are pastors around the world or p- people that are positions of leadership where there's a group of, pe- I don't know, group of people that look yeah. to them for advice. You know, people are looking at religion differently today due to this pandemic. What advice do you have for those leaders? Well, I've gotten a whole lot of people, you know, dear friends, and uh, I've written a uh, while I've had this long time recently, I've written three books. I've one on, on uh, prosperity is the laws of the kingdom. But I've gotten one I just finished on the Holy Spirit. And another uh, that we've talked about, that big book on I, I Walk with the Living God. But uh, I, I I share with these men uh, the, the work of the power of God. And I really appreciate them. I, I mean, I, I, I honor them. T.D. Jace is a, is a good friend and others. Um, one one man is pastor of the Gateway Church down in uh, in Dallas, and he was a guest, and he was sitting in my green room, and I was praying on the show, and God gave me a word about somebody with a shoulder injury, and um, I spoke that somebody was being healed, and this man who happened to be the pastor of this big church was sitting in our green room and watching the the, the monitor, and God healed him of that condition, and and so he he was rather impressed, and we. I admire his teaching, and there's the others, you know, the big church at Lakewood. Uh, John Osteen was a friend. So many over the years. Oral Roberts has been a dear friend, and others. Yeah, yeah. these are all remarkable people. And and so why do you think the 700 Club has been such a hit all these years, Dr. Robertson? Um, You know, I didn't know how to do television when we first started out. I mean, what I did was just ridiculous. We had one camera. And uh, uh, in, in order to get a second shot, we had to dip the black and then we'd come up on a, on a mirror that we'd get a side shot of where we'd, we'd go. We, you know, we, we only had one camera. Now I've got a whole studio full of cameras. But anyhow, uh, I, I began to learn television in those days, but I didn't know what to do. And it was during, I think, the seventh anniversary when I came down here, we had been praying that God would send revival to Tidewater and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And during a telethon, 
uh, the Spirit of God came in, and all of a sudden, people in our audience began to be miraculously healed. It was dramatic. It was unbelievable. And I didn't know what to do, but we just stayed on the air hour after hour, and people were just transfixed by the power of God. We, we didn't have any special program. We didn't have any fancy sets. We didn't have anything pretty. But we just had God. And people, they couldn't go to sleep. They, they, they couldn't turn off. It was so exciting. And that that was the beginning of a program, I think, that's influenced Christian television all over the world. Yeah. It's it interactive. People can call. They can give their opinions. We can talk to them. They can talk to us. And uh, uh, it, it's that kind of interactive uh, television, which is, well, it's been the foundation of, of Christian television all over the world. But it was God that set it up. I, I, it wasn't my idea. It was his. Yeah, it's it's remarkable, and that's how I first learned about the 700 Club. My mother was a guest in the early 90s. I mean, you have touched literally hundreds and hundreds of millions of lives around the world. Like, it's remarkable what you've been able to do. And and do you think that being an entrepreneur was easy for you? I mean, you started something, or were you just flexible to say, I'll just let God take over? I, I think the latter is true. Uh, you know, I've got one... Uh, uh, guiding principle, all the good things that have happened, I give God the credit for, all of them. And all the screw-ups, I take, I take the credit, the blame for them. <laughs> so That's on it really you. Works out. If I, it I didn't work, that's, that's Pat. <laughs> it didn't work, it's my fault. It, it was wonderful, it's God that did it. <laughs> I have no problem. So I got to ask you then, you, you tried it to be president and it didn't work. Was that, was that on Pat? Uh, you know, I prayed about that. I, I, I didn't really want to do it, and but I felt after Reagan, I, I really uh, loved Ronald Reagan and what he stood for, and I felt that I was the likely uh, uh, successor, that I was closer to him uh, in, in philosophy, and uh, I prayed, and, and I, I said, God, if you want me to do it, I, I want to have three million people who will sign petitions asking me to run, and then I'll have a, a fairly good start on a primary. And uh, I prayed and prayed, and finally we got the three million. And then I, I said, I want another sign. And there was a hurricane coming down toward this area, and. I said to the Lord, I said, look, if, if I can't move a hurricane, I can't move a nation. So, God, I'm going to ask you to turn that hurricane away from us, and I'm going to go to sleep, and I'll wake up the next morning, and, and hopefully that hurricane hit us, and I won't have to run. And I woke up the next morning, and the birds were singing, the sun was up, and the hurricane had gone away, and I said, oh, my goodness, I'm back in it. So, anyhow, <laughs> I... Uh, uh, I ran and placed third. I had some pretty serious, serious comp uh, uh, competition, but I was up against the sitting vice president who happened to be uh, Ronald Reagan's vice president, George Bush. I was against the majority leader of the United States Senate, Bob Dole, and then the rest of them, I, 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 I came out better. I had uh, Donald Rumsfeld and Al Haig and Pete DuPont and Jack Kemp and all these guys. I, I scored a third after and that. And I, by the way, sir, I, I think that to me, like I yeah. probably would rank a hundred million. Like that's remarkable. I mean, what a success that was that here you made a difference. You made people question 
Who are they voting for? Why are they voting for that person? And what do you really believe? I mean, to me, isn't that success? Well, that was it. You know, it's funny. I, uh, you know, I had something called compassionate conservatism, and George Bush Jr. picked that one up. And uh, I had something called make America great through moral strength. Well, that I, sounds I familiar. Current president, it's just something called MAGA. <laughs> He's an idea thief. <laughs> yeah, but that that was my thing: make America great through moral strength. But uh, what he did, it, it mobilized Christians all over the country. And I had no idea, but I was exhausted. I mean, I was wiped out when it was over. It was so, it was like having a serious illness because I had worked night and day on this thing and campaigned in all these states. But we did mobilize a group of people who stayed in the political process and realized that the evangelicals could have a voice in their government. And they, up to that point, they thought politics was dirty and they, they shouldn't be involved. And suddenly, um, they have become the core of, of one of the major political parties in America. So it's, I guess I accomplished something, but it, it, it looked like, in a sense, a failure. But uh, I think God had a plan, and it's what it was all over with. Yeah, now that you know, and it's amazing how you know through our own journey in life and people that you've interviewed, and you've interviewed like I don't know a million times the amount of people that I've talked to. But the one thing that I find that everyone is always searching for, that one thing that they can never just put their finger on what it is, is their peace. And you've found your peace. What's that feel like to have it? And do you lose it or do you get to keep it? Well, you keep it if you keep walking with the Lord. And, uh, you know, every day I, I spend time uh, with the Lord in prayer and Bible study and, and uh, I'm thinking about God and you know, as long as you have that, you've got peace. The Holy Spirit gives us peace. Jesus, you know, the, the greeting in in, uh, in Israel is shalom, the Arabs is salam, and Jesus said, my peace I leave unto you. Great peace have them that love the law of the said, nothing shall offend them. And so I have peace. I have peace in my soul because, uh, you know, I've, I've done what I need to do, and I, I trust the Lord, but... Uh, uh, like John Wesley, he said, there's not a day that goes by that I don't have to plead the blood of Jesus Christ. So every day I come before him and say, look, Lord, I'm, I'm not worthy of what you're doing. I, I'm sorry for the life I've lived. I ask you to cleanse me. And, I, 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 and when you walk with him kind of openly and, and uh, you know, if you, if you cover your sins, the Bible says you won't prosper. And so, I, I, you know, I, I, we, we're told keep short accounts with God. And I try to do that. Yeah, you know what? When we had your son, uh, Gordon, on last year, and I asked him, all right, your dad, yeah. right? So I'm like, you got to give me, like, the juicy on this guy. So what was your dad like at home? And he, he's like, Dustin, he's like the, literally, he's the real deal. He said, I would come downstairs in the morning. It didn't matter the time of day I came down. It could be super early thinking, like, all right, I beat him to it. And my dad would literally be on his knees praying. I went, so this wasn't like a show. It wasn't... He wasn't an act. He goes, no, it's who he is. He really, he believed it and he still believes it. And it is his life. And then of course I followed up with a, all right, so, so how much money did your dad take out of the ministry? And he laughed. He goes, you know, my dad is not that kind of guy. He goes, you, he said, it's amazing that my dad has always been a role model. And then I got into, so is that what made you come back? And he said, I had to go on a walkabout. I had to go on a journey to find out who I am. 
And it must be exciting for you, sir, to now see your son in this ministry. Your son's now um, extending lives, making them healthier, making them happier, and bringing a positive message of love and unity around the world. I'm so proud of him, of what God's done. Uh, you know, he, he sold his share of wild oats. I, I sold my own. I, I mean, I, I, I'm not exactly, uh, you know, a goody two-shoes when I was living in the world. I, I did it up big time, and I, I think so did he. But he, uh, I had him go over to Europe, I mean, excuse me, to Asia, and he went to a place called Varanasi uh, in India where those Hindus were, were bathing in the Ganges. He was out there early one morning, and and as he saw these people, and it sort of stirred him, and, and, and he had an encounter face-to-face with Jesus. Totally changed his life. I mean, it was just powerful. And subsequent to that, he, 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 he has got a, a, a walk with the Lord that is just marvelous. So if I have set an example, I've tried to do it. And, but it's amazing. The thing that stood out of my kids is the fact that, that every day they found Daddy uh, early in the morning uh, <laughs> praying because that was my habit. I wanted to get up early in the head of the game and, and spend time with the Lord. And I still have to do better. I, I haven't, I, my day it can, is terrible if I haven't got some time just to be quiet and listen to the Lord. <laughs> that that's beautiful. I mean, so let's talk about children. I have two kids. I I'm doing everything I can to be an example. Yet I've made a lot of mistakes. Um, and yet, when it when you look back on your own life, and now your son looks back, and I said to him more like, "Tell me about your dad." He goes, "Dustin, his love was unconditional. It came with no conditions." So how do you do that? How did you give? no conditions, because we all have family members, we're all in relationships, probably with somebody, where there always feels to be conditions, yet you didn't have conditions on the love you had towards your, towards your children. Isaiah, I think 54, says, your children should be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. And a long time ago, I, I turned them over to the Lord, I said, well, you've got to teach them, Lord, and I'll do the best I can, and uh, I, you know, I, I had discipline and had rules, but I, I tried to live a life that they would be proud of. And you talk about money. I, I, I didn't want to take a salary for what I was doing for the longest kind of time. And, uh, you know, I, the Lord, it was very modest finally. But uh, uh, I, the thing that I wanted to, to show was uh, the fact that uh, you could live with the Lord, that God had something good for you. And I tell you, he's blessed me so much. I just can't. I can't stand it. And by the way, about children, I have. I had four children, two boys and two girls. I had fourteen grandchildren. Wow. Now I have fifteen. I have fifteen great grandchildren. Holy and four more Coming. I'll have nineteen great grandchildren. That's incredible. And, and and the thing about it is, all of them are healthy, and some of them are one little kid. He's about eight years old. He's a, he's a blooming little genius. He he can he, he can tell you the capital of every state. He knows the batting average of every single player in the in the New York, in the Washington uh, baseball club. I mean, he's, he's unbelievable. <laughs> that 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 is really you know, amazing. 
And yeah. and we live in a world. Funny. What I think is amazing is your approach, and yet you had this way through the different companies that you created through your journey that all children matter, and that is the message of today that I have not heard on the news, that I have not heard from protesters that that all children matter. Why isn't our message? Why can't we stop this trauma from reverberating through the generations? Because as you know, it keeps on reverberating and destroying more lives. That we have gotten to a world or to a place where people think about themselves. Well, I don't feel good or I'm not happy or I'm angry. And I look at saying, what about the children all around you? What are they going to inherit? Exactly. Well, uh, they, they, uh, you know, isn't that what the Bible says in, in, uh, in the book of Malachi? It says, I'm going to turn the hearts of the, uh, there's one who's going to come who's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the wisdom of the just. And that's what we, we need to do. We can't have this generational split where kids are rebelling against their parents and, and parents don't care. But, you know, with working mothers, so many women that goes in the workforce, the vast majority, and they leave their children to babysitters or they let the children come home to, a, a, you know, a, an empty house and um, the kids get in trouble. And, but they, they don't need money. They need love. They, they need the attention of parents. And most parents, they don't have, I mean, if they get 30, um, 30 minutes, 30 seconds, actually, I'm going to say 30 seconds, but yeah. 30 seconds of, of quality time of just listening to them. You know, they're so busy with what they're doing, trying to make money and, and get above the rat race. And the kids are very important. And, you know, the most important uh, ingredient that we have is is the is the care and feeding of the next generation, and and we've missed that. Our, our kids aren't well educated. They they don't have a knowledge of our of our heritage. They they don't have a knowledge of what's really important in life, and uh, they're so easily swayed now because they get their news from uh, you know these uh, internet uh, connections, yeah. Facebook and. and and Google where wherever they get sure, their, wherever they get it. their stuff and wherever they get it. And uh, the, 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 but I, I believe in, in, in you know some pretty just fundamental values and and I don't think we're teaching much of that anymore. No, we, we don't. And, you know, there has become a bit of a divide. So I have a book coming out. Actually, your, your son invited me as a future guest on your show or on the 700 Club show. Uh, and I recently brought my, I brought my kids to Gettysburg, uh, which is my backyard. So I live in Baltimore. Gettysburg's not too far mm. away. And I was able to track down yeah, and, and yeah. trace that I have three family members, three great, 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 great grandfathers. Uh, that uh, were in the Civil War. And they were all part of the South. They were Confederates. And so my son obviously is confused because he's hearing things in the news. He is, he is, he is seeing things at school, yes, even at the age of nine, and little books that they give them. And the way they point the South out to be was that these were just monsters. These were terrible human beings. And my son said to me, but Daddy, I'm not for slavery, but that doesn't mean our family were bad people. And I said, well, but I, I know it can seem very confusing that you're right. While we had ancestors that were on one side, that they had certain beliefs. That's what they believe, that, that in times that you just don't forget the past, you learn from it, you grow from it. I brought them to the cemetery and looked around. I said, do you see all these people here? These were brothers fighting brothers. And now today, we're here fighting each other once again. So I ask you, Dr. Robertson, how can we bring this world back together? 
How can we unite the tribes once again? Well, I think what we've got to do is recognize we're all part of one race. We're the human race. And the fact that, you know, the pigmentation is a little different. The eye shape is a little different. The inflection of our voices are a little different. Doesn't uh, diminish the fact that we're still human beings. And I have learned over the years, I have great love for black people because they're my brothers and sisters. I have wonderful love for Hispanic people. They're my brothers and sisters. I've been all over the world. In the Africans, they're my brothers and sisters. Over in China and and Japan, I've got people I really love. They're, they're, they're again, my brothers and sisters. And the fact that they have a little bit different customs. Uh, I, I have seen... People all over the world respond to the gospel, and we're all one. And these artificial uh, divisions, I, my program, I, by the way, I just finished my TV show today, and I had a, a, a series of, of uh, 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 was, if you will, on this thing called Antifa. It it's, uh, was an anti-Nazi German uh, phenomenon that is based on anarchy, and nihilism, and uh, they're the ones that want to defund the police and tear everything down. The uh, Black Lives Matter, the three women who started the original organization, uh, we had their voice today, and this woman said, I was trained in every aspect of Marxism. And so this isn't some indigenous group that, that is appalled by what happened to George Floyd which was shocking, yes, but sir. what it is, it is it is a deliberate attempt by a group of Marxists to destroy this country, and uh, all this business of tearing down statues, de- defund the police and all this, this isn't uh, just a noble cause of people seeking redress of, of grievances. These are, are, are activists who are motivated by people who themselves have a, have a devious motive. We we showed it. I showed it today on the show. That hmm. what these people it was not a question of us saying it's what they said. Yeah, and and again, said, our ancestors we, fought to get to us a place where we could respect opinions and give people true freedom. True. That one group cannot enslave another group. So it kind of leads me to my final thought that when people talk about equality, right? Well. We are not equals if one group owes another group that either we are equals or we're not. Well, you know, if we try to bring equality economically, uh, it means that not only will the wealthy people be impoverished, but the other people won't be uh, lifted up. Uh, You know, there are different gifts. People have different uh, abilities and uh, uh, what we need to do is to look after those less fortunate and to help feed them. I mean, I, you know, I started Operation Blessing. We've helped maybe 300 million people around the world, uh, maybe more. Uh, and um, I believe in feeding the, the hungry and clothing the naked and caring for the destitute and all that sort of thing. But at the same time, I don't do it by diminishing people who who have to give to those who have not. I believe we need to lift everybody um, into a state of prosperity and help them where we can. And um, I think that that should be our our goal as a nation 
is to give everybody a, a better uh, place, but to say, well, I'm going to take away from the rich and give it to the poor. It, it never works. And it, uh, I, I just think we ought to make a lot of opportunity. Well, <laughs> That's well, why I'm all well for said, education. Sir. Well said, sir. And where do we mm-hmm. find where do we find your book, and what's it called? Well, my book is called I Walk with the Living God. It hasn't been released yet by Charisma. Uh, it'll come out, uh, I think, on the 17th of July. It was held up release because of the coronavirus problem. Uh, it's going to be in Walmart. It'll be in all these various stores, and I think Amazon will have it. But it's called I Walked with the Living God, and it's uh, it's 70 years of, of miracles, of struggle, of joy, of of blessing and of faith. And I, I hope people are blessed when they read it. Wow. Well, final uh, question or request from you. Would you mind giving us a prayer of unity, not just for the listeners out there, but for my cool. own family? I mean, I'm I'm in a position now like you where uh, I've been called to touch hearts around the world, and it starts with my own. I mean, I deal with my own bitterness and rejection, and um, there's things that I'm working on in my own life. So to make me stronger, I would be honored, sir, if you would give me a prayer of blessing over my family, household, as well as everyone around the world in 75 countries that will tune in to hear your story. Well, Lord, we, we ask the ironic blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift up his face upon you. Uh, may his face shine upon you. And may he lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And may the peace of God rule in your heart and the joy of the Lord be your strength from this moment on. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Pastor Robertson, thank you so much. You are amazing, and what a blessing. Life's tough. Dr. Robertson is tougher. Well, you're very kind. God bless you. Have a great time. What a great show. I mean, Dr. Robertson has changed the world. You know, when we started the Life's Tough broadcast, we had a goal. We had a mission. What if we could just tell our story? Who would listen? And would there be others willing to come along with the courage to share theirs? We've had lots of guests this season, everyone from Pastor Ed Lockmiller to Vander Holyfield to John Tesh to some of the biggest names in the world. Yet to me, there was one person that I wanted most, somebody that touched my life when I was a little boy, somebody who looked at the TV screen and he talked to me. That man was Dr. Robertson. My mother was a guest on the 700 Club in the early 90s. That was the first time I saw him. That was the first time I learned about this network. And since then, well, they've touched my life in many other ways. They've provided programming that I can watch and that my takeaway is one where I can look higher. That I could want more for myself and I could give back along the way. And I could see a different opinion, one that matched my own or got fairly close to it. One of the things that Dr. Robertson's takeaway for me today was a quote by William H. McRaven. It was the first quote that came to mind after my interview. And it goes like this. Start each day with a task completed. Find someone to help you through life. Respect to everyone. Know that life is not fair, that you will fail often. But if you take some risks, step up when the times are toughest. Face down the bullies, lift up the downtrodden, and never, ever give up. If you do these things, then the next generation and the generations that follow 
will live in a world far better than the one we have today. And what would start here will indeed have changed the world for the better. We asked Dr. Robertson what it's like to be 90, what it's like to have his peace, what it's like to not be afraid. Here's somebody that through his journey, he has stood up to the bullies. He's respected others. He has been a giver, not a taker. And he is leaving this world far better than the way he found it. And yet his most recent book will not be his last. He is somebody that challenges you and he challenges me. Now that I'm in a position of leadership, I have a responsibility. Like all of you listening out there, you are in a position of leadership. You may have a spouse or a partner or you may have children. You may have a microphone or you might be at work and you have someone sitting next to you in a cubicle that you are an ambassador. So I ask you, what is the message that they would say about you? That at the end of your life, you loved dot, dot, dot the most. Because when you get to life and you can fill that in and you're honest with yourself, will it be one that you'd be proud of? Will it be one like Dr. Robertson who laughs and says, you know me, I love God the most. I challenge you. What do you love the most? Thank you everybody for joining us on this edition, this very, very special edition of Life's Tough. Dr. Robertson is tougher.